let's turn our attention to the subject before us today. We're going to venture on here. I'm going to slash through the jungle, continue doing something that no one likes. It's a it's a burden I have to bear sometimes. But uh, we're going to we're going to continue to talk about in a general way why things are like they are. We talked a couple of weeks about this world that's vanity and things are upside down. They don't it doesn't appear right to us. Now I've kind of moved on to how did we get where we are today? Where especially to some of you Christians, it's a confusing time. Things don't make sense. How can people believe the things that you see and hear? Why is it like that? Uh, I'm going to come to this, but why is it that it's almost impossible to find someone under 30 that doesn't have more than one tattoo or any tattoo or more than one tattoo? How is that? How did that become a thing? Listen, when I see things like this happening, people go, oh, just wait, people. no, 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 there, there, there's always a reason. There's always a reason why people in mass start doing something. May not be a good reason, mind you, but there's a reason why these things happen. So the fact that uh, in the last 30, 40 years, most American populations gotten tattooed, including most of the grandmothers. Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember when this first started. I don't want to get off on tattoos. Look, you can have a tattoo. I'm not saying a tattoo is wrong. I'm simply pointing out that the fact that everybody you know has them, it means something. What does it mean? I'm hoping to explain this to you in my brilliant, insightful wisdom here at some point, sometime soon. But I remember how many years, 20 years ago, or maybe more than that, we go to little cafes and we see this young girl there. Real sweet, real pretty. And she's got uh, lace stockings on, I thought. But they weren't lace stockings. They were tattoos all the way down both legs, like lace stockings. And I was commenting about them, haha. And I'm thinking, my, but I'm thinking to myself, that ain't going to look so good when you're old. <laughs> so today she's somewhere with those tattoos wondering how in the world did I get this way? She's having to wear leotards or whatever else they're wearing. Anyway, how did it? How, why are things like they are? Things confusing. Well, I want to talk about the first step in this process of how we got here, and it's about the subject of truth. That's what it's about because this is the fundamental place where things went wrong in Western society, and therefore most all the world. And it started a long time ago. The seeds have always been here. But we know from what Jesus said, this is a verse that uh, has become more important to me in recent years I get older. I see the significance of this verse in almost all human endeavors. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed, John eight thirty one, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Only one solution to all these problems, the truth. And of course, that's the heart of the issue. Because the world today, when I say the truth shall make you free, what there's another Bible quotation that is the answer that people give back to me, in, either by look or by expression or verbally. And that is what Pilate said, what is truth? Isn't that most people's response to the verse that says that when you say the truth will make you free, what is truth? 
How do I know what's true? It's your truth versus my truth. You can't, or more fundamentally, if they're thoughtful, we really can't even know the truth at all. Now, this is where everything is awry in the day that we live. And I don't think people of my grandfather's generation, even my father's generation, would have had this trouble. Even unbelievers would not have had this quandary. This is something that has come upon the United States in the last generation or two in reality, and I'll show you why in a moment. But it's really a problem that's always persisted in the world. The question of what is truth. This is the question if you've ever done, how many of you have ever read any Plato or Aristotle, even if they got forced to in school? Or Socrates? What am I? Okay, Bob, thanks for helping me out there. I felt like I'm really alone in this. He carries one around, a pocket version of Aristotle around with him. Plato. They were discussed. This is the big problem from back in the time of the Greeks. Aristotle and Plato were brilliant men. If you've read even, most of us, we think everybody is older or stupid. I dare you to read them, pick up those books and read them and try to understand them with all your vaunted education. The vocabulary, even translated English, and the thought processes are very, very deep. And yet they're, they're, they make sense because they deal with these real problems. They were wrestling with the same things. What is truth? And that's probably where a man like Pilate, maybe somewhat educated, at least he thought probably had this answer back from the Greeks, what is truth? Because of his education. You know, his slaves taught him this, what is truth? But it's always been around here, you see, to, to see what these, what these things are about. And so men have wrestled with this issue. Now, those who, like most of us, who believe that the Bible is God's inspired word and that God has revealed his truth in the scriptures and therefore we go to the scriptures to find out what truth is about the big subjects in life. And we fundamentally believe that God, who has a rational mind in that upper story we talked about last week or so, he has a rational mind who created the world around us, that the world is understandable. And so even unbelievers used to believe that, that we could understand the world, that it was possible to arrive at truth. Now I want to go back just a little bit to show you a couple things. I don't spend too long on this. But but God says that the purpose of each person, he implies this with David, that David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep. This is all that you and I can do. I can't go back and pretend that I was born in 1900 in another country. I'm born in the United States in the middle of the uh, middle of the 20th century, 1952. I was born. I live in that time. I'm an American and educated in that culture. I live in that culture. I was a I'm a baby boomer and all those kind of things. A white guy. So those things can't be changed, and nor nor should they be changed. And I don't have to be ashamed of any of those things. But I can't pretend that I live in a different generation than that. And things have changed dramatically in our life. These processes we're going to talk about used to be slower, but now with the advent of mass communication, I think these processes have speeded up beyond all recognition, this process of what we're getting. And so man is not just lumbering toward uh, some end. Man is racing toward a wall, headlong to a wall. And I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be when we reach... That wall, But what has happened in general, and this was predicted in the Bible and seen in Greek and Roman culture, is the rejection of the divine. 
The Greeks had already, and Romans had already rejected the true divinity of God. The Bible talked about the fact that God let the nations walk after their own way. But Christianity through Christ and the apostles began to restore this idea of the divine. And so by the time you get to the centuries after Christ, people did believe in the divine and they believed in Jehovah across all of Western culture. And that was that way for centuries. But slowly people began to then reject this. And I was going to tell you something else about Socrates and Aristotle, but I forgot what it was. Maybe someday I'll think about what that was. But So we talk about this, these two stories. Here's two stories to a house. The upper story, the gray story, is where God is, all spiritual things. There's unity up there, because if you believe that God, the Creator, is up there in that upper story, that that makes the world make sense. And He made the worlds, as I mentioned, out of His mind. It's an orderly and rational place, even though it's mysterious, and we don't see this, obviously. We believe that God made the worlds as they And so we can understand both nature and man by looking at what God said from the upper story down to us. And we believe, as Christians, that part of ourself is in this upper story because it's made in the image of God. That's what the Bible teaches about you. That's what most of you understand. But the uh, the lower story is this idea of nature, things that have been created, earth and earthly things, visible. This is what where we call science lives. I know Dr. Fauci is science, but I'm talking about more general besides this Dr. Fauci is the science, he says. Uh, but science, that is understanding natural processes through a process of experimentation or, uh, or uh, interrogation, learning what, what nature is, and then coming to conclusions about that over a period of time. The Bible created that. The Bible's teaching that God with a rational mind made an orderly universe is the foundation of what we call science today. Even though science in its own way, much of it has rejected God, rejected the divine, you see that this is the nature. So before the Renaissance, this upper story was everything and, and the, and the man was not much of anything. After the Renaissance, though, we see a little bit more balance, but what really happened in the long run, the, the upper, the lower story has eaten up the upper story. Okay. Uh, since the Renaissance, there's just been this getting rid of the upper story. Everything divine. No place for God since the 1500s, slowly but surely in Western civilization, God has been eliminated from everything. And that's why it took a while, but it gets even down to to the classrooms and the courtrooms and the steps of the city hall down into everything. And now they're trying to eliminate God even from your own vocabulary that you use at home. In many Western countries, you can be indicted for a hate crime for what you say in your own house because the upper story does not work anymore. It's all been eliminated. So all that's left is what's below. And we've seen this take place pretty rapidly in the United States during my lifetime, but there's the philosophical reason for this. The, The problem with that is that there's no place for man to have any significance or importance if the upper story's gone. If the upper story's gone, man is just an animal. Oh, that sounds so pious. We're descended from the apes, and man's just like any other animal. You hear this. Man's just a, a product of the earth. We're all just all that part of that big circle of life. It sounds so, you know, spiritual. But what it means is you're not very important. You know, you, you go there to Mother Willow, that 
Disney teaches your kids about, in the forest, and there's fungus growing on the side of the tree, that fungus is just as important as you are standing there talking to the tree. There's no difference between you and the fungus. Because after all, we're all just part of nature. Why do you think cremation is, a, is a, such a big deal today? Once again, there's a cultural shift that's happened in my lifetime. I'm not saying it's wrong, but there's a reason, even beyond economics, why, create, why cremation is, is okay with most people, whereas a generation or two ago, it was unthinkable for Christians to be cremated. Why is that? Well, I think it's because we've all bought into the idea that we're all just part of nature. So just, uh, you know, burn me up and scatter my ashes on the Indian River or put them, up, put them in fireworks and shoot them off or whatever you want to do with my ashes. Because after all, I'm just part of nature. Is that really all that you are? Is the body unimportant? Well, it is if you're a pagan. It is if you don't believe in the upper story. The body's nothing, except it's everything. But it's also nothing. Now, I, I don't know. I'm not saying that about every individual. I'm saying there's a reason why in culture things shift. It isn't all because rich people cremate their dead too, not just poor people. And it's all the elaborate ceremonies that go with it. Now, th- there's reasons for things to happen in culture. Why they're like they are. And, and so you see this. Here's what the Bible presents. As opposed to the idea that there's no upper story, the Bible presents a personal God and an infinite God in the same being. He's personal in that he cares about you. But he's also infinite in that he controls the entire universe. And there's a chasm between... You and this infinite God, between angels and man and animals and plants and machines, everything else that God created and made, there's a chasm that exists that cannot be crossed because there is a divine upper story. On the other side, the Bible presents this God who is like us in that we belong on the side of another chasm. You have angels and men on this side of a divide with God, and on the other side are the animals and plants and machines. That distinction in thinking about the nature of man is completely lost in modern society. Because when you take away the personal infinite God, all the other distinctions are gone. And so there's no distinction between you and a plant or a machine. Why do you think we're concerned about robots taking over? Because we people believe that they are no different in reality than machines. In fact, there are scholars at all these universities who call human Humans, a meat machine. Meat, as in eating steak. Meat machine. A meat computer. That's all you are. The brain is a meat computer. And that's, and they're trying to have, uh, create transhumans. Humans that, that, that we can take your mind, download it to a floppy disk. Haha. You know, you know, those eight, inch, nine inch floppies. You're going to download, some people's mind will fit on one of those. But, but anyway, um, they, uh, Take your mind, put it on a thumb drive, and then it can save you for later and give you a new body and plug you back in, just keep you around. Because after all, all we are is a machine now. Why is that? Why do we think that? Because the upper story is gone. And there's no room. And, and Christians are falling into it. There's, tra- there's no such thing as Christian transhumanism. Because humans are made in the image of God, there is no other alternative to that. They are not computers. They created computers. They made computers because they under they have a mind like God's mind, and they can make things like that, and they can control them. Uh, 
the idea that's going around, we're going to have computers going to control the whole world and they're going to uh, tell everybody what to do and take over and all that kind of science fiction stuff. Uh, hmm. There's a Greek word for that. <laughs> Baloney. But anyway, you look it up. So the real problem then is the problem of truth and knowledge. How do you know? In, in Greek philosophy, or in philosophy, and if you take a philosophy course, and I know you all are just dying to do that, um, you will find out that philosophy, whether it, whatever kind it is, is divided into three parts, at least these three. There's epistemology, metaphysics, and ethics. Big words. Not, you know. Epistem metaphysics is the study of everything that's not physical, whatever that may be, which is an interesting realm of philosophy for people that only believe everything is material, but that's a study of metaphysics. Epistemology is a fancy word for, for knowledge. It's knowing what we know. How do you know what you know, and how do you know that you know anything? Good question. How do we know what we know? And how do we know that we know it if we know it? Well, now, philosophers have had an answer for that question and discussed that all the way through time. How do we know things? And the real question for modern people is, can we know anything? If you ask most young people today, can we know anything? What's going to be their, if they thought about it, what's going to be their answer? They'll say, no, we can't know anything. In fact, when I was taking philosophy, even when I was in college, the idea was, uh, you don't even know that you exist. You may, you may just be a this may just be a dream that you're having, and only you exist. Everybody else is a dream. Now, what is it? The, the new theory is that one of these uh, popular people, like Hawking or somebody, says we're all just living in a computer simulation by alien run by aliens. And you know they put this kind of stuff out. We're all this is all just a computer simulation in a multiverse run by aliens, and people go, oh yeah, that's so that's so deep, man. Pass me that joint. That's really deep. This is what I'm thinking when they're saying, yeah, it's all, oh, how do you know that this is not a computer simulation? And that you're not just a, a, a glitch somewhere along the way. How do you know that? Can you know that? You see, And this is being debated in real terms, in, in real time, where you're living. IRL, in real life. It's being debated because truth and knowledge is the whole ballgame. Why is it that we don't know what a woman is? There's a reason why people want to find that besides just pure politics. There's a reason why anybody, why people don't just laugh and answer like that out of the room. Well, some people do. Why they don't just laugh when a person says, I have no idea what a woman is. And a bright intellectual, one of the smartest women in our entire culture doesn't know how to say publicly what a woman is because she's not a biologist. Now she gave the whole game away. Oh my goodness, that was such a blunder. Because if you go back to what biologists say a woman is, you do have an answer. But nobody wants that answer because it's not a transgender answer. Okay, uh, That's the problem. Biology has an answer, but we can't say it because we don't even know what we know. My granddaughters don't think you can define male and female as being anything real. It's whatever anybody says it is. Where do they get that idea? They're being taught it on YouTube and TikTok in their schools and wherever it may be. Because we just don't know anything and can't know anything. And if you can't know anything, what do you have to resort to? What's the only thing you can know? 
Well, it's the same old thing about the guy that, that you're just a computer simulation or you're just a dream. The only thing you can know is that your brain is working, sort of. Isn't it Descartes in the 1500s who said, I think, therefore I am? Well, he said it in French. Well, he said it in Latin, actually. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. How do you prove that you exist? Well, I'm thinking. Okay, so I know I exist because I'm thinking. And with some people, then, I don't believe they're existing because they're not thinking very well. But that's another problem altogether. See, I'm defining rationality and thinking. But we can, when you push it all the way to its extreme, you go back to the idea that the individual can think and they think that they're real and they believe they're real. And when you come to that conclusion in the end, then whose opinion is the only one that matters? Theirs. That's why today... The only opinions that matter are the individual opinions of all the people. And so whatever they think is reality. I want you to think about what I just said. We've come to the point where the intellectuals of our society have begun to teach our young people that whatever they think is reality. Not is what they think reality is, but it is reality to them. That's why they say it's my truth. Because it is reality. Now, this is the first time in human history that I can know of in any study of history and philosophy that a culture has ever believed that. That what you think is reality because you think it as an individual. So we're at a, we're at a really interesting place. You know, the Bible speaks to this issue. A verse we talked about last week. Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress what? the truth in unrighteousness. Because they want to do wrong, unrighteous things, they suppress the truth. They hinder the truth, I think the King James says. In our they will not allow the truth itself to be known and put forward because to do so prevents them from doing what they want. That's the really the, the crux of the problem. When you begin to talk to your neighbors and friends, your children and grandchildren about this issue, what you will run into very soon into the conversation is this look of, wait, 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 wait. What you're saying is I can't do whatever I want. Won't you run into that? They will, they will let you know without even saying it. If what you're saying is right, Papa, I can't do whatever I want. And I can't think whatever I want. I have to think what's right. And then that's only right for you. People know instinctively that the word God equals responsibility or accountability. And they run away from that, always have. This idea that Sigmund Freud put out there that people repeat, that if God didn't exist, men would have invented one, is completely nonsense. Men have tried from the beginning to get God out of existence. They didn't try to get God in existence. They tried to get God out of existence. They wouldn't, this verse says that, that they, they had him there in their knowledge because what may be known of God is manifested in him for God has spoken it to, to them. For since the creation of his, the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. People can look around and see. Somebody made this. It's back there lurking in the back of their minds. This is um, amazing. This is incredible. Somebody made this. But they don't want to come up with it. They don't want to follow that conclusion all the way out. You know, like uh, the wife that keeps finding all these little things 
in her husband's possessions and indicate he's got a girlfriend. But I don't want to know. So I didn't pursue that because I don't want to really know. Well, people don't really want to know when they look at nature and look at the world what it really means. Because what it really means is there is an invisible God who is powerful beyond all their understanding. And, and therefore, though, God says they're without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so they got rid of God as quickly as they could. So the idea that men want to invent God is foolishness. Men have tried to get rid of God and are still doing so to this very hour, trying to get God out of existence uh, and so forth. And, and that's man's problem, the rejection then of the divine. So they became fools, Romans chapter 1, verse 22. And, and so the things that you see that don't look sensible to you anymore, that make no sense around you, this passage is explaining that, how it happened the same way in the Roman Empire, and it's happening today again in our society, that they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So who is God? Well, God is, as we're going to see in just a moment, I'm going to wrap this, uh, this up today, but God is man. Man is God. God is man. He is the only thing. He is the only thing that you can measure anything by. Man, his intellect, his feelings and thinking is all that he can be. And, and we're even beginning to doubt that anymore. But what they did was they exchanged, what did, get, what did they exchange? The truth of God for the lie. The lie. And that is that God is in control of the entire universe. That's the, that's the truth. But they exchanged that truth and put man at the top and got rid of God at the top. That's the lie that he's talking about here. Not a lie. The lie. And he worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed. So God gave them up to their vile passions. In the end, this is all connected with passions. Man's desires to have what he wants to do what he wants unrestrained. This is what this all, it's really not complicated, you see. And he goes on to talk more about that. So uh, we talked last week about some of the, the differences in how this is viewed as upper and lower stories, but how we arrive at knowledge and truth is perhaps the greatest problem today that's been plaguing us for a few generations. And it's really come to the head in our time all around us, and that's why we struggle with this, and that's why we decided that there's no such thing as any real truth. This is beautiful for dictators and tyrants, because since nobody knows anything, they can make you do what they want you to do, which is what they're trying to do. They, they know that they can, whoever is the strongest. Well, how is it in nature? When, when animals become confused, the strongest one always takes control. This is what we're seeing. And so, this is truth, or how we know and how we know we know, and how we know we know we know, being kind of facetious there, is really the issue. So how do you know? Can you use your mind, you think, to read and to think and come to a conclusion about God's existence or non-existence? Can you read and use your mind with information from both the upper and lower stories to decide what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, and then believe in that, you see? So how we arrive at this knowledge is really the big issue. And I don't know why it won't go on from here, but it's not going to go on. Well, real quickly, let's talk about some basic 
presuppositions. Me and Gary have alluded to this on the radio show a few times, but I keep alluding to presuppositions because what is a presupposition? Well, a presupposition is something that you believe without even knowing you believe it. It's what's behind your statement, your belief, the presupposition. You see, if I sit here and I start using words and sentences, I just start talking to you. There's a presupposition to me standing up here this morning and beginning to, I just got up here, I walked up in front of all you people, and I just began to speak in English to all of you, and I began to speak in sentences. What was I presuming when I did that? Well, that you could speak English, and that if I did speak English, that you could understand me, and you could parse what I was saying, you might not understand me correctly, but you could. I, I, there were so many presuppositions that were behind me just standing up here and talking to you that you didn't even know that you had. If you are here in this audience this morning and you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and was given to the apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit and that it contains everything that you need for truth and life and all things godly, then that's a presupposition that you operate under. And so when I talk to you, and I, if I presume that you believe that, we're going to have a different conversation than if I presume that you don't believe that. And that's where some of the miscommunication takes place. But we all have presuppositions. Except we don't usually know what they are. That's why we misunderstand a lot of things. There, there's a movement, part, part of this movement, for example, it ha started in Europe in, in the Renaissance, but it came down through modern times. There's a play, and I forgot the name of it now, written by a French fellow. And when you the play opens up, all, all the people are on stage on all fours. They're walking, they're just crawling around barking at each other, like dogs, boop, 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 barking at each other, making all these noises. And that's the play. The theater of the absurd. What's the matter here? Presuppositions can be true or not true. Well, that's right. That doesn't mean they're right. Yeah. But it's, it's what you're thinking before you... He said presuppositions can be true or not true. That's correct. But we all have them. We just don't like to talk about what they are. We don't even want to admit our presuppositions. The presupposition behind that play is that everything is meaningless. Except that... There's no mean, there's no real communication, there's no meaning. Except, in order to communicate the message that everything is meaningless, what do you have to do? Presume. You have to presume that people can use their minds to understand your meaning. You have a meaning that everything is meaningless, and you have to communicate that to people that don't, that can't, you know, it, it's an absurd, it is absurd. That's right, it is absurd. But I don't think the guy who wrote the play understood that. That him to communicate to me that the, the world the world is meaningless, he had to give meaning to a statement and give me to understand it. You see, that's the absurdity of not knowing what truth is and how to understand truth. But there are absolutes. The basic presupposition that the world used to operate under is that there are absolutes in knowledge and morals. There are some things that are true, some things that are false, some things that are good, some things that are bad. Now, you and I, most all of us, believe that that there are absolutes both in truth and morals. I do not believe that the moon is made out of green cheese. You can believe it if you want to, but I'm going to tell you something. Here's where you differ from your grandchildren. You don't believe that just because they say the moon is made out of green cheese, that it really is made out of green cheese. And that that's just their reality. That's their truth. No, you believe that they may believe that. That's true, but you don't believe that they're correct when they believe it. There's But whenever you say that there are absolutes, in both truth and morals, which I believe that there are, you're talking about opposites. So bear with me just for a second. This is confusing, so bear with me. I want to stop on the confusing part. That's that's always a great way 
to end, turn up. I learned that in preaching school, <clears throat> which I'd never been to. The great way to end a sermon is to be confusing. If A is true, the opposite is false. Do you believe that's right? You take any logic class up until recent years, you'll be taught that if A is true, then B, then the opposite of A is false. Okay? The wall is blue. The, anything else you say is false. The opposite of that is false. If A is true, uh, then, then if A is wrong, the opposite's right. So if you say lying is wrong, well, then telling the truth is right. This is how we reason. This is how truth is. This is how all humans reason. This is how all philosophers reason. They just don't admit it. They don't like this problem of A and B. And if A is A, and if you have A, it is not non-A. Well, what that means is A is A, A is not B. And if you have B, you don't have A. You know, And we reason like this. We think like this. This is called antithesis. That's a fancy word for opposites of each other. Contrast of two things. And so you see that this is how people have always reasoned and always thought in case. So God objectively exists, for example, in contrast to or antithesis to his not existing. If God exists, then it's also true that it's not that he doesn't not exist. He either exists or he doesn't exist. There's no... How do you find a middle ground there? Everybody wants a middle ground. You ever heard the truth is in the middle? Makes me, as a Bible believer, want to stick my finger in my throat and try to get rid of the stuff that's making me sick. The truth, my friends, is not in the middle. That's one of the problems of epistemology that the modern society has accepted. You've been taught it, your kids have been taught it, your grandkids have been taught it, that the truth is always in the middle. Except that to a leftist, the truth just keeps shifting over here. What is the middle to a progressive? Well, to a progressive, he's always progressing somewhere, and so the truth keeps moving with him. Right? That's what you're seeing. <clears throat> How you go from what we've been at 25 years ago, where we are today, the truth is the truth is not in the middle. The truth is wherever it is. So you can talk about two middles. We've got to find the middle of the truth. Maybe the truth is over there. Not on the spectrum that you got in mind. There's a lot of things like that. God's truth is not even on the scale that you're using. Well, how do you find the truth then? Well, I believe objectively you have to look in God's word because my word is truth, Jesus says. And there you find the truth. Now, you don't have to worry about the middle then. If you have the truth, you don't have to worry about the middle because the middle doesn't matter. Neither does either end. You have the truth. See, this is hard to think through. Hard to think about, isn't it? That's the problem we get into. So which of, uh, which of these two are the actual reality that changes everything in the area of knowledge? Which of these two are true? God exists or he doesn't exist? Now let me, this is just one example. You take that proposition, God exists, God does not exist. Is there a middle in there somewhere? Is there a middle? Well, you know, maybe he only exists for certain, if you think he exists. If you think he exists, God exists. That's not the middle. That's absurdity. So you can come up with anything you want. That doesn't mean it's actually true. But that kind of antithesis makes all the difference in the world. Okay? The whole of life can be started right there. God exists or God doesn't exist. Once you start there, now everything changes. But people don't want to do that. They want to say, well, what do you, how do you, 
How do you feel about God's existence? How do you feel about God's existence? Okay, we can talk about that if you'd like, but let me just tell you something before we start. How you feel about it doesn't make one bit of difference to the actual fact of whether he exists or not. If you want to discuss the actual reality, which is reality? Is the moon made of green cheese or not? Well, how do you feel about that? Well, anyway, I can see I've gone beyond absurdity uh, with you today, and I apologize for that <clears throat> a little. Not completely. <coughs> but what we're going to see next week is this creates a line of despair. Modern man is in a position of despair. He's lost all hope of ever really solving the problems he has. He's lost all hope of ever really finding the truth in nature or in the heavens. He's lost all hope of this. because, And therefore he's passed, as Francis Schaeffer would say, below the line of despair because he can't find any hope at all in anything that goes on and he doesn't have any... <clears throat> under, and it, it takes place in culture like this. Starts in philosophy, it ends up in theology, strangely enough. So you Christians are the last people to know that the world's changed. You're, you're the last ones to figure out that the world's changed. And you start noticing that the general culture, your music is changing, your TV shows are changing, and you don't have any idea why. Well, that's because a change already took place in philosophy a long time ago, and now it's just getting down to where you common people live, and, and you're not paying attention. And so everything shifted beneath your feet. This is where we are today. We've, we're down here in, in churches wondering what's been going on. We think we've discovered some new thing. You've been left behind by the philosophers and by the artists and the musicians. You've been left behind by these people a long time ago. And until you get some understanding of that when you begin to recognize what you're seeing, then you will be in despair. <laughs> This thing does, this doesn't make me happy because I don't know how you go back from this. There's no way for a culture as a whole I, that I know to go back from this problem because it will require a whole culture acknowledging they've been wrong about everything they believed. Can't happen. Has to be destroyed. Has to be completely upended at some point in time, somewhere. It can happen quickly. You know, if you can if you can descend into this pit quickly, you can come out of the pit quickly, but at the bottom is not pleasant. Anyway, we're gonna stop. Thank you for listening this morning. I pre I, I I am sorry that if it seems too obtuse. But the scriptures speak about this problem of truth and how critical it is, and what happens when people and societies reject this whole problem. It speaks about that, and we need to be aware of what's happening around us and fight back against it. Do not fall prey. I want, I want you to stop using two words. I feel. Stop using those words most of the time. Unless you're actually talking about, I, I feel sad today. That's okay. But I feel like abortion's wrong. Really? That's all you got? I feel abortion's wrong? I feel like murder's wrong. Well, good for you. The question is, is murder wrong? That's the question. So, long time, how long, Judy? 50 years I've been talking, I've been saying this. I feel, how do you feel about abortion? How do you feel about home? It doesn't matter what I feel like. What is true? That's the question you've got to keep pushing people. Push it on everybody you know. So, so I know, I know you may feel this way, but what's true about that? What's, what do you know is true? 
and see what you get. And you'll get the looks of, what's wrong with you? I'm going to talk to somebody else. Because it's too painful to think about what really is true. It's easy to say what I feel and go on about it. You can defend your feelings. Who can argue with your feelings? Who can argue with your feelings? I feel like my dog is smarter than most people I know. Well, okay. You need to meet more people. You know. But what is that? It's worthless. It's a worthless kind of statement. Doesn't mean anything. But we live in that world right now. We're going to sing this song that our brother selected, number 299, or number 538, excuse me, as a means of encouraging you to obey the gospel of Christ. There's only one way, one truth, and one life. That's through Jesus Christ. So if we can help you today, come to the front, and we'll baptize you into Christ if that's your desire, based on your confession and your repentance, or we'll pray with you about a wrong that you committed or some way that you need to bring your life back in accordance with God. Can we help you today? Let's stand and sing.